0: Did you make Jake intentionally dislikable to start? I
1: I love this question. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Five New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, Mary Alice Monroe, and Ron Block. As novelists, we are five longtime friends with 85 books between us.
2: I am Ron Block. I am so glad you've joined us for fascinating author interviews, along with insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place.
1: Friends and Fiction Podcast is sponsored by Mama Geraldine's Bodacious Foods. Kathy Cunningham was a successful but unfulfilled radio executive in Atlanta. One night while sipping wine and snacking on expensive cheese straws, she realized her mama geraldine's own cheese straw recipe was far superior
2: the idea for kathy's company was born mama geraldine's cheese straws now come in six varieties and they are the best-selling cheese straw in the u.s plus the cookies are melt in your mouth delish yummy snacks and a woman-owned empire now that's something we can really get behind at friends and fiction try them you'll be glad you did Get 20% off your online order with the code FAB5. Welcome to a new episode of Friends in Fiction Writer's Block. On this episode, we are truly honored to welcome Jean Hanf Korolitz. Her latest book, The Plot, was out in May to huge acclaim and an instant New York Times bestseller. In addition to the plot, Gene is the author of the novels You Should Have Known, which actually aired on HBO in October 2020 as The Undoing, and I think everybody in America was tuned into that. But that starred Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant, and Donald Sutherland. Admission was another of her books, and it was adapted as a film in 2013 starring Tina Fey. She's also written The Devil and Webster, The White Rose, The Sabbath Day River, and A Jury of Her Peers, as well as Interference Powder which was a novel for children. So what doesn't she do? Her company, Book the Writer, which I'm so interested in hearing about, they host pop-up book groups in which small groups of readers discuss new books with their authors. She lives in New York City with her husband, Irish poet Paul Muldoon. I am Ron Block.
0: And I am Mary Kay Andrews. And we can't wait to talk about this intricately woven novel that took readers by storm in may of this year it has been hailed by kirkus reviews as in the best tradition of patricia highsmith and other chroniclers of the human psyche's darkest depths gripping and thoroughly unsettling this one will be flying off the shelves and of course stephen king you've heard of him hailed yeah. it as <laughs> hailed the plot as insanely readable welcome to the podcast gene we are so happy to have you. Thank you so much. Yes. And so many questions. Okay, I'm here. I'm ready.
2: We have really been looking toward this. Gene, the book is a real nail-biter, but it's it's like literary psychological suspense, and I'm one of those people that I, I, I thought I had it figured out, and I'm like, ah, l- luckily the writing is amazing, and I can g- get into the rest of it, but boy, you had me. I had no idea what was going to happen in this book. So can you just tell everybody a little bit about what the book is about and actually where the idea came from.
3: Sure. Well, the book is about a writer and you know, there's this conventional wisdom that you shouldn't write about writers. Writers shouldn't write about writers (laughs) because nobody cares (laughs) except for other writers. Uh, So I kind of had that hanging over me the whole time. Are people really going to care about any of this stuff? And it's about a writer who's pretty much on a downward trajectory in his writing life. He's, he had a moderate success with a first novel and then kind of ran out of steam, and is pretty lost. So he's teaching in a kind of of bottom-of-the-barrel, low-residency MFA programs, and into his class walks just the worst of all possible students, this arrogant, obnoxious, (laughs) narcissistic guy named Evan Parker, and Evan Parker immediately announces that he doesn't need Jake or anybody else because he has this idea for his novel, which is, you know, foolproof. And, you know, we writers hear that a lot. Uh, A woman I know who works in publishing has told me that usually (laughs) when people say, I have a great idea for a novel, it translates to about four sentences. (laughs) But a novel is a lot more than four sentences. So anyway, Jake is pretty distressed at this state of affairs, especially since he. You know, he gets a a kind of snapshot of what this plot is, and he knows that this this kid is absolutely correct. He's going to have a massive success with this book. And then a few years later, when he discovers that this former student has died without writing the book, he does what any of us might at least consider doing, and (laughs) that is he writes his own novel. He doesn't steal a word. But he writes his own novel with this plot and he has all of the success that his former student thought would come to him. So uh, unfortunately, he can't enjoy it because he's terrified that somebody will accuse him of some nefarious act and eventually somebody does. And that's kind of where the novel begins to become uh, a very twisty and revelatory, one hopes, story.
0: This book gave me such anxiety as a writer. Right. I, was, Sorry. I, was, I was right beside Jake, curled up in a fetal position, hoping nobody would figure out that I'm an imposter and that... There you go. That's yeah. Something. I mean, Jake we, is all of us.
3: I mean, no matter how successful we may be or we are thought to be, our our mind goes to our failure at, at all times. And we never forget the special delight of walking into our local Barnes & Noble to give a reading and the only person there is our mom, you know, so it's, yeah. uh, it never goes <laughs> away.
0: <laughs> Tell me about how you decided to construct the book or more to the point to write two books to include Jake's book and Jake's novel in the book is called crib, not the crib, which is a very important distinction. Mm -hmm. I actually, Jean, saw your interview with Carol Fitzgerald, so I know a little bit about that, but I want you to, if you would, tell the listeners how you wove these together in such an interesting way and what your initial instinct was to do with this book.
3: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad
0: you mentioned Carol Fitzgerald because,
3: in fact, that is the person who came up with the factoid about most people, that for, for most people who have a brilliant idea for a novel, it's actually four sentences. They have four sentences <laughs> worth of a story. So I want to give a lot of credit to Carol Fitzgerald. She's a brilliant woman. So uh, I, I really can't take credit for the uh, for putting those chapters in because I did my best to get out of it. I, <laughs> I tried not to write them. I was in the middle of writing the book when I heard uh, an interview with Lily King about her novel, Writers and Lovers, in which she was asked kind of the opposite question. Why did you decide not to put the book within a book in your book? And she said, well, I decided that no matter what I wrote, it could never be good enough to justify the success that this book within the book of writers and lovers experiences. And I thought, great, <laughs> she's not <laughs> doing hers. I won't do mine either. And I turned in the book without those chapters. And my editor said, where are the chapters? And I said, oh, I, I'm not going to write them. <laughs> Lily <Little> King's not <laughs> writing hers. I'm not writing mine. She said, you have to write them. And so, you know, of course she was right. And I went and I kind of wrote them all in order, and then I I kind of divided them up because they are part of the revelation of of what the plot is and what Jake has done and, and what the reality may or may not be behind the story that Jake wrote as fiction. So it's all very convoluted. It took a lot of, you know, putting chapters out on the floor and figuring out what goes where. It's,
2: very high That's category. amazing. Yeah. But it did feel, it did almost feel like I was reading two authors' works. So it really was very successful. I think it gave us a lot of insight. I really, really appreciated that as a reader. So I'm going to go back just a little bit. So where did the idea for the book come from? What was the spark?
3: It came out of the wild blue yonder. It really did. I was in the middle of a. Uh, of a very different book, which I was really struggling with. And uh, I I was literally in my editor's office having a very uh, unhappy conversation about why she was not buying the book when I just started, you know, downloading this idea that I had. And I barely had, I mean, I had two things. I had this failed writer who steals a story from his late student, and I had what that story was. And I, I really kind of, I'm not a seat by seat of my pants kind of person at all. But that day, I don't know. It just, uh, it, it really. If I believed in anything supernatural, I would, I would credit it to that. But I don't. I, I honestly don't know how I, how I even spoke up in that meeting. I, I'm not. That's not really the way I roll. <laughs> but that day, I just said, I have this other idea, and I just started telling her. This story, and I could see her get more and more excited, which was very gratifying because after yeah. all, we were having a meeting about why she wasn't buying my book. And by the next day, to my shock and delight, I had a contract for both books, which wow. I've never had that as in my career. So it was it was very reassuring. And then, you know, we decided that I would put aside that novel, which is called The Late Comer. And I would write this new idea because clearly I needed some space from that other novel. I I was burned out and I'm sure, you know, you know what that feels like. So, so then, you know, the entire planet just shut down and I was in this house in upstate New York and that's all I did for four months. I just wrote this book. So that's, I I can't tell you where it came from.
2: Nope. That's,
0: I love it. One minute it wasn't there. The next minute it was there.
2: We love hearing the story behind it.
0: When you told your editor that you had this idea, did you know that the book within a book was called Crib? No,
3: no. Ah. I, I mean, I knew 20% of what ended up being in the plot. I, I knew that he does something which is morally dubious, although you know, in Push Comes to Shove, I don't think he did anything wrong. But his fear of exposure, his fear of what, People who don't happen to be writers of fiction might think of what he did. It's quite valid, quite on target. And, you know, it, it overwhelms, you know, his kind of, kind of high mindedness about the fact that he really hasn't done anything terribly wrong. So I knew that and I knew what the plot was. And that was pretty much it.
0: Uh, you know, this book is full of literary Easter eggs, most notably <laughs> the inspiration of Patricia Highsmith. And of course the allusion to the talented Mr. Ripley. Could you talk a little bit about I can see definitely see some comparisons or some inspiration from Patricia Highsmith to your work. Do you do you think that's an apt description or would you just say, No, you're wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong.
3: I mean, I've read a couple of at least one biography of Highsmith. So I I can tell you that we were extremely different people. I mean, oh yeah. I, I have a Overactive morality meter going on inside me. I think she frolicked through life without much of one. Uh, I'm not a massive Highsmith fan. I mean, I certainly have enjoyed the Ripley novels. I've read a few of her other novels. I read The Price of Salt, which I thought was terrific. But I mean, she's not my my guiding star. It was a bit of fun to call the yeah. uh, the, the the college Ripley and to sort of play with that later. Um I worried it might give too much away actually but I it was too fun to leave out frankly.
2: No it was perfect. <laughs> so I want to I want to know a little bit more about how you developed Jake. One of the things that I I just thought was amazing was how complex he was but one of my favorite parts was hearing his inner voice in his head. He would say something out loud and then we'd hear him in the back. It just rang so cinematically. What can you tell us how you developed him and put and wove that in?
3: You know, he's really all of us. We're we're all Jake C'est moi I mean, I, I just met you, but I, I would imagine there's something in Jake that you identified with as well. I mean, yes. a, a part of our great conflict as writers is that we're readers as well. And w- we've been at it for years. We've been at it since we discovered books. Uh, I don't know when that was for you, but for me it was, you know, when I learned to read, five, six years old. So there's... Decades and decades of hundreds and hundreds of stories, books, characters, language, all knocking around in my head. And when we write, you know, we can't ever be sure where that line came from, where that character came from. Have we heard about this situation before? Have we read this combination of words before? It's we're, it's like we're walking on thin ice at all times. And if you're of a moral bent, as I tend to be, mm-hmm. you're worried that you're appropriating always. And, you know, add to that, that there are very few stories at their in their essence. So we're, you know, we're in a river that's been flowing long before we got there and will continue, one hopes, long be- after we leave. And philosophically that's not a problem but i i am always kind of haunted by concern that i am appropriating i'm not talking about cultural appropriation that's the whole new thing right but you know if, if a sentence sounds familiar to me i'll even if i have no idea where it came from i'll err on the side of caution and cut it out but but the fear is always there and that is that, that is the fear that Jake really embodies for a lot of us, I think.
2: Yeah, so true, so true. I once heard our other host, Mary Kay Andrews, say that she doesn't read in her genre when she's writing because she's so afraid she's going to steal something without thinking about it.
0: There you go. Yeah, I'm always terrified. I was interested about how, did you make Jake intentionally um, dislikable to start? <laughs>
3: <laughs> this, I, I love this question because I, I don't know about you, but in the past, I don't know, 25 years, the cult of the likable heroine or hero seems to have arisen among us. And People back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, in the 19th century, nobody worried about the likability of a hero. No. I, I Maybe it's because I, I used to study 18th century fiction, and I love 19th century fiction, I arrived in my own writing life without any (laughs) compulsion to make a likable hero or her. In fact, I'm, I'm not all that interested in super nice people. I mean, take Elizabeth Bennett, one of the greatest heroines of all time. I mean, she's, she's a bit nasty. She's a bit judgmental and hostile. She's still awesome. And, you know, and I, I, Read many, many reviews of my work, which incorporated some element of well, I just didn't like her, or I just didn't like him, and I and I I always want to say, well, I'm sure she wouldn't like you either. But what's (laughs) what's the point that you're making? Are you looking for a friend in the pages of a book because they're not there? You know, they're at the grocery store, they're in the spin class. Go find them there. Um, So no, he's not a particularly likable guy. I don't want to get a beer with him. But he's interesting to me. Very
2: interesting. Yeah, no doubt.
0: You know, maybe it's because, you know, my background, I started writing category mystery. But it wasn't really for me. It wasn't until Jake took matters into his own hands when he you know uncurled himself from that fetal position on <laughs> the bed yeah and when he actually went out and started tracking down evans past that i actually begrudgingly thought okay i i'm in, i mean i was of course fascinated with this guy like yes. you're fascinated with with a sociopath um yeah. which he is not as yeah. it turns out there's someone else who is mm-hmm. And of course, I had I was as I was mentioning to you before we started recording. I had to laugh when Jake traveled to Athens and UGA, which is my alma mater. I thought you kind of really nailed Bulldog Nation there. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me because I was
3: quite concerned about it. But the strange thing is that in in this house in upstate New York during the pandemic, I was I was writing this novel, and my husband was downstairs sitting at that table writing a a musical based on. Aristophanes the Frogs, which is also set in Athens, Georgia. And in fact, it's called Athens, Georgia. Uh-huh. And so it's just hilarious that we were both writing about Athens, Georgia at the same time. And now you're going to ask if I've been to Athens, Georgia. I've been there once. I've been there once. But I have a friend who lives down there and she, she talked to me a little bit about... Uh, I was fascinated by these kind of housing units, these kind of little self-contained country club style Things where the students all live. That's definitely part of the yeah, part yeah. Of the That's definitely not a feature of, I would say, the Northeast, basically.
2: Yes. So I think location is a big part of your book, too. So why, and you mentioned that you're in upstate New York, but why would you set it there? Because it really seems a perfect spot for a lot of what you write.
3: Well, that's good to know. I've never written about this area before. We've had this house for about five years, but we were living here full time during the pandemic. And I just, you know, the first thing I did was I put Jake here in this little town, which is a very mm-hmm. interesting little town, uh, which is kind of going up and going down at the same time, called Sharon Springs, New York. We got a, a big jolt of, of excitement a few years ago. I think one of you mentioned the Beekman Boys. And yes. Their, their brand Beekman 1802 is kind of put this place on the map. And that's how I heard about this town. We just came through one night and and went for a walk and saw this house and you know the rest is history but I think those two guys and the business that they started have brought in a lot of people like me and that's been great on the other hand, the town is like falling down around us so literally one of the old hotels collapsed about a year ago just overnight just fell down so, oh no it's so such a cute town all of the overlook hotels i mean they're all <laughs> empty you can buy them for ten thousand dollars somebody just did you know uh, this town could it could be a really fascinating brilliant amazing place it, it, right now it's super cool but it's it could do even more Yep. Yeah. but but I'm, I'm sorry just to answer your question having put <laughs> jake here Basically, yeah. in this town, it made sense that when he started to write his story, he would be looking at towns in the area where he was. And that brought me to Earlville and uh, Hamilton. I, I wanted a small town that was close to a town with a college, which would represent, you know, the wider world for a young, local, smart, ambitious person.
2: It's yeah. And Hamilton is also such a beautiful area. The the college is something else. Let's talk about the themes of the book a little bit, or at least some specific themes. You talk about who owns ideas and wh- what are the lines in intellectual property. And I'm going to actually ask Mary Kay the same question. I want to ask you both. What is your What are your thoughts on that? And, wh- and, and how did you feel that Jake skated the line?
3: Well, I don't know how you feel, Mary Kay, but I I do not feel it is my right to tell anybody what they're allowed or not allowed to write. And I certainly don't want anybody telling me what I'm allowed to write. I think we have, I'm sure you, you've been following this kind of recent dust up about the short story Cap Person, which is fascinating to all of us. This is a short story that, you know, was hugely successful and widely read published in the New Yorker. And then literally last week, somebody published an essay in which they said, I've always suspected the story is about me and, I'm r- and I was right. She confirmed this, that there was a connection between herself and the author. So then the question becomes, are you entitled to take my story that you've just heard about and weave a narrative out of it? And the answer is, yeah, she, she was. The author was entitled to do that. You want to take care, not to harm. You don't want to leave identifiable details in your story. And I I think in that particular case, the author could have used more care. But, you know, we're magpies. We pick up shiny things off the ground, things we've read, things we've heard, things we've experienced, things our worst enemy experience, things our best friend experience. That is how we make fiction. And I would argue other kinds of art as well, but I'm mainly concerned with fiction.
0: What do you think, I think, you know, we are out in the world and the world, things happen in the world. And we, you know, I've, I've written, I wrote a, a novel where the woman in the, in the book is obsessed with all the divorce going on around her. And she's so, she's mapping it on a map and she's afraid it's coming to her house. And she's so obsessed with other people's divorces, their marriage is crumbling. She doesn't notice her own is crumbling. So I, I wrote Part of this book is something that happens and something similar happened to a neighbor. And 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 they and my neighbor said, well, you wrote about my life. And I said, no, I wrote about my reaction to what happened in your life. And I filtered it through the imagination of my protagonist. Was she satisfied with that? They still think I stole their life, but that's I mean we're still the, I'm still friends with the husband, not so much the ex, but um <laughs> I mean I'm you know when you're out in the world people will say be careful what you say around here because she'll use it in a novel. I'm like, mm-hmm, sure yeah, will. I got my I got my notebook right here. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think if you I mean everything comes filtered through our imagination. And, you know, it comes, I hope comes out in our in the voice, our voice, which you hope is is distinctive or and it comes out in the very, you hope, unique voices of your characters who are generally speaking, nothing like the very most mostly boring people who tell you these stories. I'm like, <laughs> always like, I always tell people, you know, don't worry about it. Cause you're really not interesting enough for me to steal your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh okay, so
3: here, I mean, also it is very possible to describe things in ways that make it sound like our story. And even in that woman's essay, she said something like, well, this part of of the story cat person wasn't like my life. And then she just glosses over that and goes to the next thing that is like her life. So, I mean, we're, we're all focusing on the three or four things or the, the, the the shiny little bits that resonate with us. And we, then we ignore everything else that isn't from us at all. It's a human thing, I guess. Maybe it's all about connection. Who knows?
2: Maybe, maybe hysterical.
0: Jean, you said you wrote the plot in only four months. Yeah, now, sounds bad, doesn't it? Oh. No, actually, <laughs> I wrote I wrote a novel, an extra novel this year because there wasn't anything to do during the pandemic. How? But how was the plot different from your other from your previous work? It, is it very different? Uh, yes and no. I mean, part of the reason
3: I've been somewhat obscure until novel number seven is that I, I wasn't comfortable in a genre. I I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't have 10 books going at one time, 10 ideas. I have one idea at a time. And sometimes that idea is more plot driven. Sometimes it's more character driven. You know, this genre thing has been the one of the most annoying things that I've ever dealt with. Publishers quite understandably want you to be in a predictable groove. They want, you know, they want Gillian Flynn to write a Gillian Flynn novel. They want Jonathan Franzen to write a Jonathan Franzen novel. They're not happy when people start jumping around. And that is what I have done from the beginning. So this one was clearly uh, intensely plot driven. But I still, you know, think of myself as a literary writer and I try to write every sentence as well as I can. If a sentence is ugly or clunky, I can't go on. I have to go back and fix it. These are the things that have been true from the beginning of my writing life. So how is it different? Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's like a, if, if my career is a scattergram with plot here and language here, it's clearly closer to the plot end. But they're all, you know, they were all propulsive to me at the time and written very carefully. That's all I could say.
2: I think that's wonderful because all of the care that you give really does shine through. And as readers, we truly appreciate
3: that. Oh, thanks. That's good it's to know. Su-
2: Super literary and just everything. Somebody wants suspense, they want to read a thriller, they want to read a mystery, they want to read a literary novel. It's all here <laughs> in the plot. We're no, no huge fans, huge fans. Wow, yeah,
0: that's great. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And then at the end with the green soup. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No spoilers, no spoilers. But I
0: will say that when a certain soup
3: enters, that's when my daughter said she screamed out loud. So that was was very gratifying. I want to make my daughter scream out loud. That's good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, we. Good barometer. um,
0: when of course, when I read about the plot, I thought, "Oh my God, this is the woman who wrote the novel that The Undoing was based upon." Loosely, it Seriously? turns out. <laughs> I lo- I loved. I love what you told Carol about. You. you didn't know who did it either I in didn't. the movie. <laughs> I didn't. Think
3: everybody was, you know, who did it? Who did? It? I'm like, I don't know. Don't ask me. I mean, it's already gone so far from my book, but. Um I, I was I was reassured by the end. I I, I thought it was very interesting how, how David E. Kelly, you know, kind of brought it back to the novel in a way. He took us on a tour and he brought us home. So.
0: You know, I'm interested. You said that you you had this meeting with your editor and they were like, I'm not going to buy your next book. How does that happen after they make an incredible blockbuster like the undoing from your previous book, you should have known. I mean, th- well, I think the undoing hasn't
3: of- been shown yet, so nobody uh, knew it was going to be what uh, it was. But I I mean, my and by, and by the way, just as we started this conversation, an email came in from my editor following you know her reading the novel I turned in last week that I turned my phone over and I don't know what it says. So I've got this incredible suspense all through this interview, that I'm freaking <laughs> out because I don't know what she says. But she wanted that book this book to be as good as it could be. I mean she did not want to buy it until it was right. it was as good as it could be. And I I respect that and I'm grateful for it because I want yeah. the same.
0: Right. I think a lot of I think a lot of readers have this idea that once you have a, a bestseller or a hit book or a movie made from a book that now you have the golden ticket and your mm-hmm. life is not harmed mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit well you
3: know it, it certainly was not true for me I doubt it's true for other people but if it is true it shouldn't be true because you want You want the same care uh, for that post HBO book as you should want for every book that you write. I mean, I remember when uh, my first two novels were not published, they were rejected everywhere. And when my next novel was published, I said to my agent at that time, great, now we can, you know, now we can go back and get those first two books published. And she said, no, she said, you're a better writer now, put these away and forget about them. And, you know, that was pretty disappointing at the time, but but of course it was the right thing to say and the right thing to do. And I also feel that if those early novels had been published, I probably would not be in the position that I am today because I would be, they would kind of be a, a weight on my writing history. And, you know, if you turn off a reader with one novel, they're not coming back, no matter if your next book is a bestseller. If, if if other readers are like me, they'll say, oh, I, you know, I read one of his
0: books and it wasn't that good. So I'm not going to. I'll read something else. So it's it's probably for the best. Do you think that the plot, the movie they make or the series streaming series they'll make from the plot? Um, now, that's from this. It's going to be made by the same team. Is that my understanding? No, no, no. Uh, I actually can't say
3: too much about it. I, I think there might be an announcement soon about it but uh, the only thing I can say is that this time I get to be in the writer's room which I'm very very thrilled about something I really wanted to to learn to try Um, I'll be like the most inexperienced person in there like underneath the recent film school graduate but that's okay because I you know when you get to my age it's the great thing is to keep learning stuff and I am really looking forward to learning how to do this
2: I think it's going to be amazing and and probably better for your involvement because it'll keep it on track because it was just such a tightly woven story. Let's just change gears just a little bit. And I want to talk about Book the Writer. How did it oh, come about? How did you, how, tell me some of the highlights, um, anything you want to share about it?
3: Yeah. Okay. So Book the Writer started as a fundraiser when I lived in Princeton, New Jersey for 25 years. My husband teaches at Princeton and it, somebody said to me, Oh, you know, you know, all these writers, why don't you do something with the writers? And I said, Okay. So I started this thing, we called it the Meet the Author book group, and everybody in the book group made a donation to this charity that I was on the board of a local charity. And we went on for about eight years, and it was great. We had about a hundred writers come to Princeton. A lot of them lived in Princeton. I I didn't pay the authors, although I paid for their travel and and I said, we'll sell, you know, 20 copies of your book, which, you know, for most of us is a big deal. And, but still, I was amazed at some of the authors who said yes. I mean, authors who did not need to get on a train and come to Princeton, New Jersey and sit in a living room with 20 people to sell 20 books. They enjoyed it because I think for many writers to have a really intelligent conversation with people who have read your work and not yeah. just, oh, I, you know, I love I love your work, and I'm looking forward to reading this new book. That's great too. But to actually have a conversation with 20 intelligent people who have just read the same book, your book, that's pretty cool. So when I moved back to New York in um, 2013, I thought maybe this can be a business. You know, there are a lot of writers in New York. There are a lot of readers in New York. The first thing I attempted was to send authors to local book groups, but that did not work. I was running into a lot of well, I think this is a great idea, but I can't get my book group to agree. And so I sort of flipped the concept and I, I started setting up the events. And then, you know, that one person from each book group who thought it was a good idea would register. We would all gather in a in an apartment in New York City, you know, 20 people and Elizabeth Strout, 20 people and Adriana Trigiani. It, it, it just really, that started to work. When the pandemic happened, I, I really uh, resisted the idea of going online. I'm, I'm very committed to the in-the-room experience, but um, some of my regulars asked me to please do it, and and I started doing the events online. It's been about a year and a half, and it it's been very gratifying in its own way because, of course, we could have people from Athens, Georgia, and. Mm-hmm. You know, all over the world. We had we had people from all over the world, especially David Duchovny. We had David Duchovny talking about his novel. For some reason, only women. I don't know why, but <laughs> women from all over the world. From, the world, from Argentina, from South Africa. But not really not just David Duchovny. Um, people found out about us from Australia, Europe, South America, all over America, and it's it's been great. So we're going to be online through the summer. We've got four four books to go. One of them's tomorrow night, actually. And um, and then in the fall, we'll go back to in room in, in person in New York City. But I'm going to try to figure out Luddite that I am some way to maintain an online element. So because we I don't want to lose those fantastic readers that uh, right. have started to come to us from all over the world.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, we've, it's a whole new realm we're going into. And it I is. think the combination of the two is going to be the future.
3: Yeah. And to, if somebody has a grandchild who knows how to do this, please get in touch because <laughs> yes. I really would like to figure out how to do it without shoving a camera in the face of the author, because that's very, you know, very off-putting, I think. Right. We have an unbelievable lineup this fall. We have Chang Wei Li and Juliana Margulies, the actress. Wow. And, and uh, oh, oh, we have the new Plath biography. We're going to do one with my husband. I mean, it's, we've got uh, Edmund Duvall, who wrote The Hair with Amber Eyes, has a new book. We're doing him. I mean, it's going to be great.
2: It's so um fascinating. And I, I saw your interview with Adriana Trajani where you talked about this and I said, Oh, I need to know more about that. And <laughs> I, that must have been a great event with her though. She's a party in a box.
3: She is amazing and her level of generosity towards other authors is just
2: yeah. Yeah.
3: unparalleled. I don't know how she does it. I mean I've I I've been in her home. Her home is stunning. Yes. And, you know, she's got this many books piled up next to her, and she's reading them all, and she's a powerhouse. She should be running the country. She really should. Yeah, she should, <laughs> definitely. <laughs>
2: Okay, so what is next for you, Jean? What, what are we going to be eagerly anticipating?
3: I'm going to read my email and find out you if my book has been accepted.
2: <laughs> oh well,
3: <laughs> no, don't ask me to do it while we're talking. <laughs> I
2: know that's, I'm not. Kidding.
3: That's what's immediately next. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I have more, a little more work to do on this book, but technically, it's coming out in April. It's called The Latecomer. Comer. It is a very different animal from from the plot, but I'm. I really love this book and I, you know, I kind of think of it as my Meg Wallitzer novel. It's about a a really crazy family uh, with triplets who all hate one another and they hate their parents. And almost 20 years after these triplets are born, the parents have another child from a leftover embryo from the triplets. And it's really about how this family kind of solves the problem of itself which is not possible without the arrival of this late
0: child. So that's what it's about.
2: That's amazing. I want it now.
0: <laughs> You'll have to wait a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of a bookend. I wrote the newcomer this year. Next year you've got the latecomer. Oh, what's the newcomer <laughs> about? Oh, the newcomer is uh, it's a beach. It's a summer beach book. It's about a woman who her sister's murdered. And her sister, before she was murdered, has always told my protagonist, if anything ever happens to me, grab Maya, my little girl and go because it's my my partner. He did it. And so she grabs this four year old kid and runs and she runs to a mom and pop motel on Florida's West Coast Called the murmuring surf. She doesn't know why and and she doesn't really know why she's there. Anyway, that's that's a whole thing. I just thought it was funny. We should do an event together.
3: The newcomer yeah. and the latecomer.
0: I
2: would, I would love it. I'll, I'll very, moderate. Yeah, right.
0: mo- I'll Toronto take care of that.
2: <laughs> oh, Jean, thank you so much for joining You're us here so today. Welcome. It has been such a thrill. Um, as you know, we love the book. And everybody who's listening, if you haven't read the plot yet, all two or three of you, run, <laughs> run, 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 and get it. It's really it's it's everything you want in a book, and especially this summer. It's such a great book to take to the beach or take to your country home, wherever, but it's it's really amazing. And we are so thrilled for you, and I can't wait to see whatever treatment it might get in, this, in the uh, celluloid world.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see if we've got Donald Sutherland in a helicopter zooming <laughs> in to... I couldn't write that in. I love the book, Jean. Thank Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, guys.
3: Really, really appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to read my email now. So,
2: Um,
3: (laughs) bye-bye, everyone.
2: And thank you all for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast. On behalf of Mary Kay and the rest of the Friends and Fiction team, we so appreciate you joining us. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to share with a friend. As always, we'll be back each Friday with a new episode that you are sure to love.
0: Thanks, everybody.
2: Thank you for tuning in to Friends and Fiction Writers Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode.
1: And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where you can see our live Friends in Fiction show that airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Audovita Studios.